This is an AI Group podcast. In today's podcast, we're going to be looking at contemporary ways of working, and it's part two. It's a look at the ongoing impacts of remote working arrangements in Australian workplaces following the lifting of many COVID health orders and restrictions around the country. The sorts of things we'll look at are types of contemporary work arrangements that are emerging, rights and obligations of employers in determining how and where work is performed, some recent cases, and uh, there's a number that have come up since the first podcast was recorded, and some essential consideration for employers planning how workforce should work. I'm Tony Melville, Head of Corporate Affairs at AI Group, and joining us for this discussion today is Nicola Street. Hi, Nicola. Hi, Tony. Good morning. Great to be with you. Yeah, well, it could be morning, it could be afternoon, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, Nicola's the National Manager Workplace Relations Policy at the Australian Industry Group. She's an industrial and employment lawyer who works in formulating public policy responses to support productive and contemporary workplaces for Australian industry. And I just note here that this podcast is provided with the support of the Commonwealth Government, represented by the Fair Work Ombudsman. It also does not represent legal advice or constitute legal advice and should not be relied on as such, but rather discusses some general issues and basic principles for employers to consider as part of their workforce planning. If you need legal advice, you can always call AI Group Workplace Lawyers or the AI Group Advice Line um, or contact any lawyer that you might have. This is a follow-up to an earlier podcast, as I mentioned, and at that time, it was very cautious in terms of people returning to the offices. And I still note that you know, Fridays and Mondays are still pretty quiet going into Sydney and where we're, where we're based and I'm sure around the country. So people are still doing a lot of hybrid work. Uh, the big return to work that seemed to be happening in May last year, last time we were talking about it uh, in this uh, podcast context anyway, was then hit by the Delta strain and that slowed everything up again. So Nicola, just let's uh, get into the discussion. We'll get to the various cases that we've seen uh, in the commission a bit later, but what can you say, what are you seeing in terms of what's happening with contemporary ways of working now that most of those health orders have gone around workplaces? Yeah, thanks, Tony. We're certainly seeing with the relaxing of health orders and restrictions in, in you know, not everywhere, but most parts of the country, a, a return to the office for many businesses and employees uh, in varying capacities. So we're seeing um, certainly a lot of employees return on a full-time basis and, and also uh, the, the rise and, and what we uh, envisage will be the ongoing uh, arrangement of hybrid working. Uh, so obviously uh, employees returning to the office for a set number of days or um, you know, a variety of different models for that, um, but also working um, at home or at another location depending on their job. Yeah, so this saying- hybrid, I was thinking of actually adding hybrid to my title because it gets used so much. But there's also this idea of free range. What's that? That's right. So it's a, it's a type of hybrid work where we're seeing uh, for a lot of businesses and it's very industry dependent depending on the sort of workforce that you have, particularly where you have a lot of autonomous employees who have been working remotely throughout the pandemic. They may be geographically dispersed, but uh, where you have uh, employees who can choose when they would like to go back to the office, at what time, uh, what day suits them. Um, and arrangements where, where we're seeing those arrangements, it's really where um, 
um, remote work has been you know a success for that organization and the employees so where remote working has improved performance and productivity um, where you're relying on technology is seen as more inclusive to connect with people rather than having everyone you know, attend the office and and dialing in people remotely um, if we're all part of a team that's an arrangement that can be a bit awkward so so in those sorts of workplaces um, we're seeing that the the free range option being uh, promoted as very much as a recruitment and retention tool and particularly where you know amidst the skill shortage um, that we're in at the moment um, businesses are turning their minds to that and that's not to say that that's the solution for every workplace but indeed um, that free range approach uh, is proving very popular in those industries where it's valued by both business and the employee. And I guess related to that too, Tony, we're seeing um, different forms of hybrid working. So it may be where um, the employer nominates a particular day or, or set days in the office. Uh, and that obviously provides um, employees and the business with some level of certainty. It uh, imposes you know, that interaction amongst teams, but also you know, can stimulate that um, more incidental uh, interaction at work, which has been linked to greater innovation and productivity in, in many areas. Um, and employees also um, may choose to have you know work there there two or three days whatever the relevant quantum may be uh, where we're seeing somewhere places give employees that choice and I think that's where you're getting the rise of the the TWT worker the Tuesday Wednesday Thursday worker and you know there's some businesses that are doing quite well under that model and everyone's happy um but really where you're an employer who um, you've maybe experimented a bit with hybrid working, you're seeing that there are some issues and the preference is to return, have everyone return to the office full time. Uh, that's something that's certainly open to you. And we will discuss, I guess, some of the limitations about that approach, um, at least in terms of some of the legal obligations and issues you need to consider. But but that approach may be you know, needed for um, in businesses that, that did not um, you know, uh, I guess we found remote working, um, you know, a bit suboptimal and, and, and was not delivering, you know, the, the output or the productivity that was needed. So uh, just jumping in there, a lot of the discussion, of course, that's around hybrid working is really only people who can hybrid work. Are there, we've got a lot of members in manufacturing, construction, other industries. You, you can't work from home if you're a car mechanic or a carpenter or whatever. Um, is, is that bringing up issues as well, that mix in the workplace? Yeah, it is, Tony. And, and certainly throughout the pandemic, we saw a lot of um, those businesses have you know, a, a large chunk of their workforce or section of their workforce continue to work you know, on site throughout um, the the pandemic, and they may have been um, essential workers or an essential industry. Um, I know that was experienced for for many businesses, and so um, those employees, you know, no doubt will continue to work from from their site location. Um, but what we have observed is that. Um, working on site was generally not available to every employee in the business, either because of the public health orders or the concern about COVID-19 infection. So for a lot of businesses, they, they did have different classes of I uh, don't like to work, use that word class, but different categories rather of, of employees um, who either worked on site or, or at home remotely or elsewhere. So we are still seeing businesses having to grapple with hybrid or remote work in some way, even 
if it may only apply to a particular team or the head office or or part of their organisation and, and, and not universally. So I, I think these yeah, issues are, are important. So it doesn't raise issues of unfairness? Is that, that's not coming into it? Um, it's interesting. So um, we've, we're getting a lot of sort of mixed feedback about that. So um, there is uh, in some businesses a perception that um, people working remotely, you know, have uh, more benefits afforded to them. Um, but some businesses are saying, well, actually, the people who are on site working prefer to be on site working. Um, they didn't have to stay at home during lockdown, and, and that was their preference to be at work. Um, we are sort of seeing, I guess, businesses having to manage just different ways of working um, based around business function. So that becomes the objective reason as well as to why there's that differential, you know, beyond um, pandemic health restrictions. So something that businesses need to be mindful of, and certainly if you've got teams who require interaction or there needs to be some visibility in the workplace, um, and if you've got sort of different cohorts working you know, on site and or at home, and that's something you need to give some thought to as to how you would manage that, um, either through a full scale return or or through some model of hybrid. Okay, you mentioned there that you know a, a lot of workplaces are saying you know come in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever, or picking some days. Are there some challenges there for employers or some issues that they should be aware of when they're making these sort of directions to employees to come in those days? And and is there any pushback that they're getting? Yeah, so we, we are seeing that, um, especially, you know, I guess the question would be for a lot of employers, what, what rights do they have in that sense? And, and generally speaking, there is the right to direct employees to perform work at a particular location. Um, there obviously are some exceptions to that. Um, but if that's a, um, a right you've also built as an employer into a written employment agreement, for example, then then that very much strengthens your ability to make that direction. Um, what we're seeing is that employers who, um, or firstly, not too many are applying that in a, an overly forceful way across the, the workforce because of the recognition that um, of those exceptions, so work health and safety concerns, whether they're related to COVID or, or other issues, um, the application of public health orders obviously need to be observed as a um, priority, but also those employees who are eligible to make requests for flexible work arrangements who may indeed already be on those arrangements under the Fair Work Act. Uh, so the right to request provisions for those employees who um, may be caring for young children uh, who have a disability, um, maybe the age of 55 or over, mature age workers or experiencing family domestic violence who are carers. So there are a, a raft of um, uh, different categories of employees who can make that request under the legislation, under the Fair Work Act, and the employer would need to um, only refuse on reasonable business grounds. So there really is that that statutory duty there to consider and go through a process. Yeah, That's underlying, underlying underlying that is uh, what you're saying is if uh, you've got a, if you're a business and you've got a certified agreement coming up, or you've got you're employing new workers, you should really be looking very closely at that contract and how that's worded. Yeah, that's right. So if you're um, certainly um, for current employees or even for new employees, if you're an employer that um, wishes to preserve that 
you know, you have a strategy where you want employees to work at a particular location, then consider putting that into an employment agreement in writing will will be um, of benefit to the employer. That said, um, reference, referencing to your, your earlier point, Tony, do employees actually want to work in a workplace where they have to be at a particular location every day? And, and what we're seeing is that depending on the industry and the various roles that employees are interested in, um, demand for hybrid working and flexible working is very much in the labour market at the moment. So employers, what we're hearing, are having to make some adjustments to their return strategy to either allow for some capacity of hybrid working or flexible work. Um, and, and many you know, are finding that there are a couple of little challenges, but they're, um, they're, they're doing that um, in a way that's generally constructive and consultative. Okay. Um, and there's, there's so many implications for it. I ran into a neighbour last night who was told me he's selling his house because there's not enough room for him and his wife to work there. And I'm sure that's happening all over the country. Yeah, yes, it's, it's really changed people's lives. And certainly the other issue is, you know, discrimination legislation or even just broader issues of, of, of fairness. Um, if you're an employee who's worked from home for over two years and you've built your life around that so whether it's caring responsibilities exercise routines or just other personal commitments uh, for an employer to um, to make a unilateral direction or you must return full time um, there are some obligations on an employer to consult uh, with employees in relation to significant change. And these arise from modern awards and enterprise agreements. So really just a, a word of warning to employers who are going down that path, that, that, that checking consultation obligations is not only good practice, it may also be um, a requirement, a legal requirement. Um, and we're hearing of employers survey their workplace and their employees and getting that feedback. So many are actually doing that, but just being clear as to whether you're required to is, is uh, another issue to um, to be on top of. And I think we've got some notes that you'll be able to share with this, you know, listing where an employer can determine where work is performed and what, what rights they have and what rights the employees have. And we'll be sharing that with, uh, with this podcast, correct? Uh, yes, yes, we can do that. That's right, Tony. Because, yeah, as you say, it's in the Fair Work Act, it's in various legislation, and there's some good tips that we'll share there as well. Um, there's a couple of, uh, including modern awards, uh, in modern awards. So in circumstances where employees are working remotely and where an employee directs employees to return to work, the answer to that is yes, but what are the important exceptions? So... Um... So exceptions would be really work health and safety and public health orders should come to mind. Uh, we are still seeing, you know, some states are um, ongoing um, application of health orders or some level of restrictions. So they need to be complied with, obviously, but also um, under the Work Health and Safety Act in your know, relevant state or territory, um, there is that statutory duty on employers to provide a safe workplace. And if that means you know, ensuring that you still need to manage social distancing or um, or not having everyone back at work at once in, in confined spaces, then they're things that you need to give some consideration to as part of your, your risk assessment there and, and um, ultimate strategy. But the other exceptions refer, as I mentioned, the, the uh, right to um, flexible working um, requests under the Fair Work Act. Those arrangements, if they're in place, need to be observed and also um, considered 
submitted for new requests, um, but also the um, just the I guess how you want to position yourself as a, as an employer if you're trying to attract skilled people into your workplace. Um, you know, promoting hybrid working is is seen to be a benefit, um, but of course that's something that's a matter for each each business. Okay, and I'm into communications, of course, and that's very important in this particular case. Uh, you know, there's the point that you should ask why you want your workers all in one place at one time, and what should you be, how should you be communicating these issues? That's right, Tony. So I think yeah, being clear as to um, in communicating to your employees, again, going back to that consultation requirement may be a legal requirement or it may be something you should be doing it as as a matter of, of good practice, but articulating to your workforce um, what it is um, that can be achieved at the workplace that can't be achieved at home, I think is incredibly beneficial and helpful in um, helping any business achieve that outcome. Um, so employees really want to understand, well, if I am you know, uh, don't have the extended commute to the office, um, what is going to happen at the office that will make me perform my job better. Um, so being clear as to what that is, um, is, is important. Um, so it's really an, an issue that um, we're seeing a lot of employers are, are naturally taking a consultative approach, but for those who may insist on a more of a hard line direction, that maybe there may be business reasons for that, but, but looking at what your legal obligations are in respect of significant change into those consultation provisions would be uh, essential um, for implementing those directions. Okay. We talked a, a little earlier about the concept of an employer signing up new employees with, with very clear remote work requirements. Is that going to, are there any you know, difficulties around that? Is that going to create problems if you have half workers with these new contracts and half not? So I guess this comes down to employers thinking about what strategy they want to have for future ways of working. Um, if you're an employer that would like to have employee you know, a, a physical employment base, a location, and you want employees be able to direct employees to attend that location, then I think considering putting that into a written employment agreement would should be um, should be strongly considered. Uh, um, but if you're an employer who is quite comfortable with remote working, you might be um, short on office space because we did see a lot of changes to leasing arrangements during the pandemic. You may prefer the hybrid model, then then that's something you you certainly can put an employment agreement. I think just the um, the caution is if you put something in writing and you then want to change it, uh, you do need to get the employee's agreement to do that um, in, in most cases. Um, so uh, just, yeah, having a good think about well, what do we want to be doing uh, now and what do we want to be doing in, in the future? Do we want a variety of options than, than having, um, you know, appropriate contract clauses that, that provide for that and that provide for the process of changing those options would is something that um, we think should be given attention to. And again, uh, I mentioned the consultation obligations, but a lot of employers do need to be aware that there are um, provisions in awards and enterprise agreements, for example, that, that can also determine how you deal with hours of work and location too. Okay. So uh, I mentioned that we'll look at several cases that have come before the courts and tribunals. So we've got three examples today. So just going going quickly through each of those three, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. The first case is a recent case, Ruth Cully versus the Commonwealth of Australia. 
and the National Audit Office was involved in that one. What are the, what's the interesting aspects of that case, Nicola? Yeah, this was a very recent case, Tony, and it concerned um, Ms Cully, who had um, the employee who had um, requested during the pandemic a working from home arrangement from her employer. And the reason for the request was that she had an elevated risk of um, contracting COVID-19 and that was supported by medical evidence that she did provide to her employer. But she also um, wanted to work from home at a second home that she had up in Coffs Harbour, which was obviously some distance away from her usual workplace in Canberra. And um, as part of that, well, after she commenced that working from home arrangement, um, sadly, a family member of hers um, fell um, terminally ill and she um, was required to look after that family member as well as work from her second home in Coffs Harbour. Um, and for to, in order to be able to care for that family member, she did apply for periods of uh, personal carer's leave and um, that was combined with periods of working from home um, at, at this Coffs Harbour location. So um, the employer in this case um, has had some concerns about that arrangement and they actually revoked its original approval for uh, Ms Cully to work from home and citing that it was negatively impacting her work and performance and that it argued that this family member was not actually an immediate household member of, of Ms Cully and so therefore she didn't strictly qualify for personal carer's leave. And um, ultimately, um, uh, Ms Carly was dismissed for taking periods of unauthorised absences or unauthorised leave because it was felt she didn't meet the definition of, of care, it didn't meet the definition of carer's leave under the Fair Work Act and its policies. Um, but also that um, her employer had directed her to perform her work back in the Canberra office, so away from Coffs Harbour, back in the Canberra office, and he'd argued that it was a lawful and reasonable direction, and um, and it said that um, that yeah she did not comply with that direction as well. So this case went to the Fair Work Commission. Uh, it was uh, filed as an unfair dismissal by Miss Cully, and the commission held that this case actually was an unfair dismissal because there was no valid reason for Ms Cully's termination of employment. And the Commission said that um, quite helpfully that an employer can make a reasonable and lawful direction uh, for uh, an employee to work at an office location. In this case, it was a lawful direction, but it was not reasonable. And it was not reasonable because Ms. Cully had demonstrated her elevated risk to COVID-19 and that the commission said, well, actually this family member was a member of her household based on her household in Coffs Harbour, her second home, uh, not, um, and that should be, which, should which have been accepted. Which yeah. they accepted as a home, yeah. That's right. So, so it it does um, demonstrate, for an employer perspective, that if you are embarking on a more rigid approaches to having employees return to the office, bearing in mind that whilst there may be that 
lawful ability to do that and for you to make a lawful direction, the reasonableness needs to be carefully considered. And particularly where you are dealing with employees with caring responsibilities, there are issues with adverse action claims, discrimination, as well as right to request issues as well for flexible work arrangements. So so um, quite a useful decision um, and one that we encourage employers to consider. Lawful, um, lawful and reasonable, not lawful or reasonable. Correct. <laughs> you, yes. You, you've got to get them both. <laughs> so yes. that's the uh, that's an interesting case. The the second of the three cases, Hare versus the State of Queensland Health, recent decision in the Queensland Industrial Relations Commission. That's right, and. Yes, and this case um, actually concerned an HR manager. Um, of course, we may have a few HR managers that may listen to this podcast, but uh, it's, it's an interesting decision. Uh, it's from the Queensland IRC, as you said, Tony, and this concerned an employee who um, worked for Queensland Health, who had worked remotely throughout the pandemic, had, you know, for uh, all purposes, um, was believed to have performed her job effectively, exceeded expectations. Uh, and then she moved interstate and um, requested that she continue her um, work or to be employed on a remote work arrangement, um, working interstate. Um, and the employer um, was not comfortable about this at all and, and they declined her request to work um, remotely in in this fashion and said, well, actually, um, in your role as an HR manager, uh, and I'm not saying this for all HR managers, but in this particular case, uh, there was a very specific client service delivery model that was in place within Queensland Health that uh, Queensland Health said required uh, this role to be in the office to have that face-to-face interaction um, with various stakeholders. I was also concerned um, about colleagues disproportionately picking up the work that would um, unfold at, at the workplace that should have been um, performed by the HR manager um, at, at the workplace itself. And importantly, and I think this may case perhaps could be um, distinguished from perhaps current circumstances was the application of the Queensland border restrictions at the time. So um, quarantine requirements, isolation requirements, the the employer said, if you were to return um, from an interstate work arrangement, you're going to have to comply with these, these you know, quite extensive quarantine isolations. That's right. So hugely disruptive to the employee as well as the employer. So the commission in this case then upheld the uh, employer's decision to refuse the um, remote work arrangement from the interstate location. So I think that's um, an example there of an em- another decision, again, recognising that employers can make these directions, but you do really need to carefully consider the circumstances of not just the business and the employee circumstances. And in this case, the business circumstances were, were given quite a bit of significant weight here in addition to the, um, the border restrictions. I know it's not a legal term on the, the case of the HR leader there, but um, it was probably not reasonable from that perspective, from her perspective or his perspective. That's right. And look, it had it been a, um, a request to work remotely within Queensland, we may have seen another that decision. Might have been quite reasonable, yeah. That's right. But again, there are issues around being at work um, 
that that the employer felt were necessary for this particular role. Uh, So, yeah. Okay, the third and last decision is and another unfair dis- it was an unfair dismissal, which was Mr. Alexander James Marriott versus Baptcare Limited. So, what was the case there? So, this um, was one of a, a, a swelling number of vaccination cases, Tony, concerning again an unfair dismissal application um, that went to the Fair Work Commission. Um, this employee uh, was an agent. Was this one? In? Uh, so I understand this was in New South Wales, but uh, it was a state that had the a public health order that, um, indeed, this may have reflected the national position that all aged care employees um, be double vaccinated um, um, to perform their job. Um, and the employer made sure that all its employees were aware of this and, and did, of course, um, insist and require employees to be vaccinated um, uh, in order for them to perform their duties. Um, So in this case, the employee uh, did not want to be vaccinated, but had been working from home for an extended period during the pandemic. And uh, the employee um, um, did not um, become vaccinated and uh, had they returned at an earlier date um, most likely would have fallen foul of the the health order but in this case um, the employer did not require the employee to attend the workplace until February of this year um, and unfortunately the employer um, um, obviously was trying to do the right thing in complying with the health order but um, fell into, I guess, um, the wrong time or or made the decision to dismiss the employee at a time when the employee could have continued working from home. Uh, And this was the reason that the commission said uh, was why uh, the employee's dismissal was, was not fair in the circumstances. That said, the employee... Uh, moved on to another job uh, and suffered no significant loss in pay or economic loss. So the commission said, well, um, whilst the dismissal was unfair, there's no payment or reinstatement order that the employer must follow through with. So um, it was an interesting case and a really important case for an employer who are dealing with some of those vaccination issues still and health order issues and are in those high risk industries to really go through um, what work can be provided to employees, the conditions of that work um, and and really assessing, uh, making sure you've got that fair process in place. And, and I would encourage any employer to, to get advice when they are dealing with health orders of this nature, particularly if you're making decisions about termination of employment. Okay, it was interesting as well, that case. I mean, it was at a time when a lot of uh, states required people to be vaccinated. So do you think in these days now where it's not required to be vaccinated, it would have a different outcome or, you know, should an employer think differently now because you're allowed to have people back in the workplace that aren't vaccinated now. Um, So has it narrowed the range of positions perhaps that you can say you must be vaccinated? 
So it is something employers may have to grapple with, particularly in relation to booster shots or um, or indeed if, if they still see themselves as being in a high-risk workplace, be it that they are interacting with vulnerable people or employees are or with large members of the public. Um, so this is where uh, if there's no public health order that applies, then it's really coming down to what is safe way to manage how we perform work here and, and that's where the work health and safety framework legislation um, is relevant and whilst there's um, nothing in work health and safety laws that says that every employee must be vaccinated uh, it is recognized as you know a um, you know obviously a control or an intervention that an employer can can use but not the only one and that's where employers are encouraged to look at things you know like mask wearing and social distancing um, how work is performed remotely um, so all these things that we were all sort of accustomed to during the pandemic still um, can be you know maybe relevant depending on what you see would be elevated risks or, or general risk within your workplace so um, so certainly yeah it may be that employees may still be required to be vaccinated if an employer makes that request of an employer employee and that request is lawful and reasonable. And we have seen some decisions from the Fair Work Commission that have upheld that request from the employer, um, importantly, and provided that the direction is lawful, reasonable, and um, there is a level of required consultation that is met under work health and safety law back to lawful and reasonable. And I'm sure you can think of many cases where it might be quite lawful to insist on vaccination, but it might be a workplace where it's a call centre and everyone can work from home 100% of the time. So that wouldn't be reasonable. Or it's an outdoor area where people aren't interacting very much or whatever. That's right. That's right. And and we know that you know, the Fair Work Ombudsman has um, identified you know, some um, scenarios in different categories where that help employers and business decide whether their requests may be lawful or reasonable or, or not lawful or not reasonable based on the level of risk associated within their particular workplace. So um, encourage your businesses to look at that and, and to seek advice as well. Okay, I'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks to Nicholas Street, AI Group's National Manager Workplace Relations Policy. And if you want some more information, you can contact AI Group, so info at aigroup.com.au. And there are some notes and further reading that go with this podcast that Nicola will put on our website and attached, hopefully, to this podcast as well. So that's all for now. Thanks, Nicola. Thanks, Tony. Okay, that's all for now. See you next time.